0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you for coming and joining us here, my family, Gospel Saving Church, out of my home in McKinney, Texas. Every Sunday morning we have church here, ten fifteen in the morning. I want to welcome everybody coming to my house or Gospel Saving Church, as well as I want to welcome everybody coming from online, SoundCloud, wherever you're coming from, all over the world. God bless you, and thank you for joining us here this day, whenever you may be joining us. Um, praise God that... He's brought us here for another day that he's kept us alive. You know, we never know when our lives could end. Our lives could end in any moment, in any day. And so I'm still thankful to be here. And while I'm here, I'm going to serve God. I don't know about you, but uh, anyway, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer before I get to my thoughts from last week's message, uh, I would surely appreciate it. We thank you, dear God. Thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you so much for the message that you've given me this week, Lord. Thank you so much for how you've um uh, you've been teaching me so much lord and and I'm so thankful lord god if you're if you're teaching me i know lord god you've you've got to be teaching others through your word as well too lord cuz we're all learning we're all learning every day lord because none of us know everything about you and we won't know everything about you until we see you in full for then we will know you as we are known as your word says so lord i thank you so much lord god that we're continuing to learn more about you every day and I pray that we'd learn and grow today, Lord, by your word, Lord. Uh, forget about me, Lord. I just pray you'd get me out of the way and that you'd speak through me, Lord God, by your word. And Lord, I just uh, thank you for bringing everybody here and to my home and and thank you for bringing everybody from all over the world to listen to these messages, Lord, and um, as this is a worldwide outreach, Lord God, here. It's not just a something that we do out of my home as a hobby, Lord. This is something we take very seriously, Lord, and I just thank you so much for all that you're doing and and your great love and your great mercy, Lord God. So we ask that you bless this message and bless it to our ears and bless it to our hearts, Lord. May we hear with our ears and understand with our hearts, and may we do and not just be hearers of the word only, but may we be doers as well too, Lord. Thank you so much, and bless you, and may you be glorified with this message and, and by us all being here to honor you. And we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. While I'm giving my thoughts from last week's message, the terrible end of the betrayer Judas, maybe you guys want to be turning in your Bible to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be in verses 11 through 26 this week. Again, that's Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. And now my thoughts from last week's message. Listen along, please. I'm going to, I have something very special. I had a God moment, actually, this week with a brother of mine. I have a, a, a very special guy in my life. He's a very neat brother in Christ and I've known him for a long time and he's stuck with me through the thick and through the thin and he doesn't come to this church though but he goes to another church and so I had a god moment with him as he was telling me this week as he had some concerns about a conversation that he had at his own church this week this conversation went a little something like this my brother and I are you know we're big into evangelism because we believe that the bible teaches evangelism jesus taught evangelism. I'll go through some verses. Paul spoke about evangelism. Paul spoke about going to the world. Jesus spoke about going to the world. In their conversation, in in their conversation, I should say, these people at his church condemned him for evangelizing others. They said that he was getting in God's way, that he was getting in the Holy Spirit's way, and that really the disciples and Jesus, they really only went to people that were interested in hearing about God, number one, and they only went to people that were already Christians. And so there, as he talked with them, he thought really they knew a lot about the Bible. He really thought that these guys, the one person he told me, had memorized 200 different scriptures. And so as they talked, my brother was kind of feeling like, wow, these guys know so much about the Bible, and they don't believe that you're supposed to evangelize. And yet my brother did. So I I can't help, I've heard some of this before. I've heard, and there's a certain teaching, a certain doctrine in Christianity called Calvinism. And to the extremes of Calvinism, since they believe that God saves whomever he will— just because he'll save whomever he will, that we don't have to go out and do anything, because after all, God's gonna save whom he will, and, and therefore nobody has to get in the way, and therefore so on and so forth. And I mean, I've heard this before, but this idea makes me so angry. So as we were talking, I, I just got so, you know, angry, and I didn't get angry with him, but I got so frustrated and so angry with this idea that these people believed. The, really, their idea, why it made me so angry, is because it's anti-Bible. This idea of we don't have to do anything but sit back and only go to church and only talk to people about Jesus at church is against the Bible. Okay, The idea of those, let's say, they, all, they said that uh, the disciples and Jesus, they only talked to people that were interested, or, or they only talked to people that were already Christians. Well, where do you line that up with what Paul says in Romans 15, 20, where Paul says, And so I have made it my aim. That means that it's his ultimate goal. To preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. Least I should build on another man's foundation. So I didn't go, in plain terms, Paul says, I did not go to the people that already believed in Jesus. Rather, I went to people that didn't believe in Jesus and I told them about the gospel. I told them about Christ. And to say that we're not supposed to evangelize, what was Christ saying to us in Mark 16, 15, where he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature amongst all the other times that Jesus did what? He sent his disciples, go into all the region of Judea. Go into all of Israel and stop at every town and preach the gospel. And if they do not receive you, knock the dust off your feet and move on. Now, if the disciples and Jesus only went to those that were interested or those that were Christians, why did Jesus have that little clause in there? Well, if they do not receive you, well, if they're not receiving him, they're not believing in him, right? Because if they believed in him, they wouldn't say, ah, get away from us, we don't want anything to do with that, if they believed in him already. So Jesus told the disciples, go everywhere. And hey, the ones that accept you, stay there. Bless their houses you go in, in fact. But those that don't believe in me, then they just refuse, knock the dust off your feet and leave. So Jesus said, go everywhere. you know, Believers and non-believers alike. So, to me, and, and to the Bible, to true biblical teachings, evangelism is a no-brainer. Uh, there isn't a question in my mind that God wants all of his children, if you belong to God, he wants you to talk to others about him. He wants you to spread the gospel. He wants you to tell others about what he did for them. And scripture supports it over and over and over and over. And the biggest Statement here is if evangelism is getting in God's way and getting in the Holy Spirit's way, then why did Jesus tell us to do it? But as I said, this brother of mine, as he was listening to these these other people that were at his church that claimed to be Christians, as he was listening to him, he was his faith was getting shaken. Well, these people know so much more about their Bible than I do, and man, what if they're right? So as we talked, I kind of, as we talked, I got a little frustrated again, not with him, but as we talked, I kind of strengthened him in the biblical truth of evangelism. I didn't just let it slide. I didn't say, well, you know, let let people have their beliefs. No, he was really struggling on whether he should still, because he thought, man, these people, they know so much more than me. So you may be saying, why was this a God moment? Pastor, I still haven't got that. Why is this a God moment? Well, the God moment is this. He brought this to my attention the Monday, right after the Sunday that we had our service. And this false idea brought up by these people in his church directly relates to what I spoke about in my sermon last week. You may be saying, how? Well, listen to this. As I was speaking to him, I said, hey, listen to this. God put this question on my heart to ask him. God says, this told me to ask him this question: when Jesus was alive, who were the people who would have known the most about the Bible? And his answer right on, right on the money, by the way, was the disciples. Now you may be thinking, well the Pharisees or religious leaders, yeah, they knew a lot about the Old Testament, but they, Jesus was teaching the New Testament, and so the disciples were there front row. they knew more about the New Testament, so the Bible, the Christian Bible, the Christian New Testament, than anybody else in the world did. The, the disciples were the ones that knew. They walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They saw the miracles. They heard the teachings. They heard the literal living word of God teach them the new word of God, the word of God that God was bringing the new revelation through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. So the disciples were the ones that would have known the most about the Bible in Jesus' day. So then I asked them, Yet... Didn't the disciple Judas end up going to hell? And his answer, like a light bulb, went off over his head. Oh, yeah. Well, Judas had the divine knowledge of God through Christ, being around, as I said, as do the other disciples, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Yet, the only difference was this. He did not practice or obey the teachings of Jesus Christ and ended up going to hell. So just like I talked about last week, it's not those who have the knowledge of Christ and his teachings that are saved. It's not those that have 200 scripture verses memorized that are saved. It's those who hear, believe, and then obey the teachings of Jesus Christ that are saved. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24 through 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. He says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, notice we had a hearing and then we had a doing, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Right? Right? What did he say? Those that hear and do, those that hear what I say and practice what I say, that's the one that's my house. Because if you're my house, you're not going to fall. If you stand in my truth, you're not going to fall. But verse 26, But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to a foolish man who built this house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great. Was it's fall. It's a picture of a Christian versus somebody that just hears and doesn't do. A Christian is someone that follows Christ. Not that just knows all his teachings, but follows Christ. Does what he says to do. Well, my brother says, he's always telling me this statement here and there, and I, I agree with There's a well-known pastor in America that says that 99% of all Christians in American churches are going to actually be on the way to hell. And I would actually put that number between 90 and 95%, but that's still pretty high. So we both believe that above 90% of everybody that's sitting in a Christian church right now in America is actually on their way to hell. How can we believe that, and why do we believe that number is so high? Well, because sadly, we believe that most of American so-called Christians are just like these people at my brother's church. They're just like Judas. They know the teachings of Jesus, they've grown up with those teachings of Jesus. They went to Sunday school. Their grandma was a Baptist, you know, was a Baptist deacon or something. And they, they know all that they need to know. They know the Bible. They've memorized verses, 200 scriptures. They know it all. But they don't obey the teachings of Christ. And explain away the ones that they don't really want to follow. And we talked about. That. I've talked about this in a sermon in the past. Since they don't follow the teachings of Christ, the majority of them living live following their own ways, and then their own ways are sinfulness, and then they're headed to hell. And they they dismiss all of the Christian ways, the Christ ways, and they live however they want, and they believe all the false things in the world are right, and abortion, homosexuality, all those things are good, and they support all those things, and yet they think because they know their Bibles well that they're going to be saved. Well, God gave me this saying a while back. He said, wisdom not applied is foolishness. And it's the same thing with Jews, Judas and the same thing with the majority of so-called American Christians. They know the truth, but they don't live it. So you who are listening to me today, I want you to understand something very important. And I want you to understand this thing very super important point, And I want you to understand it crystal clear. Those who hear and obey the teachings of Christ are those who are saved. Not those who know their Bibles cover to cover, but live for themselves and for their own lives. Knowing God's word is only part of salvation. Following his words is proof you have real faith and you're really saved. Faith without works is dead. So that's the God moment I had this week. And I God put it on my heart right away when I started starting my sermon. He said, hey, I want you to speak about this because you know what? This is a huge problem that we have in America. So many people call themselves Christians, but in actuality, in reality, nobody obeys the teachings of Christ. Instead, they just live for themselves and they sin all the time and they don't really care about God. But all I know my Bible. And so anyway, if that's you, it's time for repentance, God says. Time to turn to me, time to say I'm sorry and, and start obeying my teachings. And not dismissing them away. All right, praise God. Let's get on to our next sermon, our new sermon for this week. Our new title is Jesus Stands Before the Governor. Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. Title Jesus Stands Before the Governor. So I'm going to read it. You guys can follow along if you want or just listen along. Matthew 27, 11 through 26. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he, he answered nothing. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled. Now at the feast the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at the time, they had no, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which one one of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They said to him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. I can hear him yelling it. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult or an uprising was rising up, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of the just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Wow. What a what a terrible and sad thing that the Jews cried out as a whole group, crucify Jesus and release to us the one we know by scripture says that Barabbas was a, well, he was a traitor or he was a, he was a, he was going against the Roman government, excuse me. And, and he was also a murderer. And yet they had Jesus released rather than, you know, or, or Barabbas released instead of Jesus. So sad, sad, sad. So. After remember last week we studied about the end the terrible end of Judas remember well this week remember in Matt and remember in Matthew he kind of stopped he says hey the religious leaders got together they decided they they got together how are we going to get you know Pilate to agree with us on a death sentence and then they say and then Matthew goes on to say back there in uh, Matthew chapter twenty seven uh, verses three or I'm sorry verses one and two and then they said well let's take him to Pilate. So remember, they delivered him to Pilate. And remember, Matthew took a break. And he said, okay, now that we take a break, let's go talk about the terrible end of Judas. So After Matthew ends up telling telling us about the terrible end of Judas, he goes on to tell us about this meeting here with Pilate and Judas. Verse 11, we read first off, now Jesus stood before Pilate. Matthew finally gets back to now, after the sad and terrible end of Judas, he gets back to telling us about the end of Jesus. We're we're working our way toward the cross, right? So I want to ask a question. Do you think or don't you think that Pilate knew exactly why the Jews had delivered Jesus? Yes, a little further down, we do read that uh, Pilate says that he knows why they delivered him because of envy. But do you think that that, that Pilate knew why they brought Jesus for judgment? Like, do you think he knew what their real motive was, why they were really angry with him? I think he did. Absolutely. And scripture supports it. Look at Look at there also in verse 11. Look at Pilate's first words as they bring Jesus to Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus right off the bat, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? You see, Pilate wasn't stupid. Okay, Pilate had been the governor over the region the whole time that Christ was walking the earth in his three and a half years ministry. He heard all the people, the people, you know, the buzz in the, in Jerusalem, the buzz around town. You'd say all the miracles Jesus did, all the things people said about Jesus. He, he already knew who by by, you know, word of mouth, who people had told him, hey, this guy came. His name is Jesus and he's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be the Jewish king, the Jewish messiah. See, Governor was in charge the governor Pilate was in charge of keeping peace in Jerusalem. And of course, there had been many times, as we read in Scripture, that the religious leaders got kind of all their feathers ruffled, and they were upset because why? Jesus claimed to be the Christ. Jesus, Jesus was constantly claiming to be the Son of God. So of course, Pilate wasn't stupid. He had heard for three years, over three years, uh, you know, in his, in his ears, he had heard from others, the reports coming to him, hey, this is the guy that's claiming to be the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Christ. So, and Pilate knew also that the Jews didn't like or agree with Jesus, of course, because there became tumults because of his, what he said, and then the religious leaders kind of rising up. Okay? And he was, remember, he's, as I just said, he was the one kind of in charge of keeping the region in peace. So there, w- there were different times when he knew that the region wasn't peaceful because Jesus was making these claims, and so he, he heard all this stuff, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, but he'd never heard it for his own self. He'd never heard it right from the mouth of Christ. And see, despite what the Jews thought of Jesus's claim. Here we read that Pilate wants to hear Jesus confirm what he'd been hearing with his own ears. He wanted to hear Jesus confirm to him in his own ears with his with Jesus' own mouth, hey, who are you? Are you really the king of the Jews like you say that you are like I've been hearing that you said? That's why his very first statement that he opens up with Jesus to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus's reply there, verse 11, he says, it is as you say. Basically, absolutely. Yes, I am. Yes, that's 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 what I am. I'm I'm the king of the Jews. It's as you say. Funny enough, Jesus gives Pilate almost the same reply as he gave the religious leaders back in Matthew 26, uh, verses 64. Remember, they asked him while they had him in, remember that, that mock trial, that joke of a trial that they had Jesus in. And they said, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? It is as you say, but he goes on to do what? He goes on to tell them a whole bunch of things about his deity. You will see me coming in the clouds and you'll see me sitting at the right hand of the father. And he goes on to tell him. And then what do they do? They get so angry. And then they say, guilty, guilty, he's guilty. And then they start smashing him and bashing him and spitting on him and accusing him and all these evil things. So unfortunately, Pilate here, He earnestly wants to know who Jesus is. Well, you know, the religious leaders, when they heard the same thing, they were angry about it, right? So interestingly enough, in case you didn't know, Pilate asked this question to Jesus because he really did want to know who Jesus was. But this question and answer, this question by Pilate and answer by Christ, was enough to to condemn Jesus to death immediately immediately even without any accusations from the Jewish leaders. Did you you know that? Why, you may be saying? Well, in uh, Rome, it was actually a crime to claim to be a king. Caesar was the only king. And anybody that would say, I am a king, they would be basically going against Caesar. That's like treason. You can't claim. To, it'd be like me saying, I'm the president of the United States of America. Now, I don't know what they would do to me here in America for doing that. I could say it all day long. But here, nevertheless, Caesar, he was the sole ruler, and he was like a god to these people. He I believe that he even proclaimed to be a god, come down in human form to rule the people of Rome. So Jesus even claiming to be the king of the Jews, him, him answering, yes, I am the king of the Jews, was a, was a punishment of death under the Roman law, under the Roman government. This was something Jesus could not do. Yet, Pilate asks him, Jesus answers, and yet he could have condemned him right then and there. In the Gospel, in John's Gospel, in the Gospel of John, we read of Pilate trying to fight for Jesus' release. Because you may not know this, but Pilate really didn't want to re- condemn Jesus to death. Pilate, although he was a Roman and he was a governor, he really wasn't excited about putting Jesus to death. Plus, he had his wife here, as we already read, his wife here telling him, hey, don't have anything to do with this just man. I've already suffered a lot in a dream because of him. So Pilate was kind of frightened to do anything about it. So in a kind of another kind of similar kind of parallel passage in John nineteen twelve, we see that the, the religious leaders are having a conversation with Pilate and they're trying to sway him. Hey, Pilate, believe us. Hey, we're, we're trying to put Jesus to death here. Hey, give him the, the death penalty because of this. It go, their interaction went a little like this. John 19, 12, and 13, they say, If you let this man, speaking of Jesus, go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Pilate responds, or Pilate responds by, look at his actions. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. And of course, to do what? He was about to judge Jesus to guilty. Hey, you know what? These guys are rising up in a tumult, which means I'm supposed to keep the peace. And they're claiming, that, and they've caught me. They know that anybody that rises up and says that they're a king goes against Caesar. And of course... This could have been very uh, unhealthy, let's say, for Pilate. Uh, Pilate didn't want to get on Caesar's bad side. Had the, had the Jewish religious leaders sent a messenger to, you know, to somebody for Caesar and told him, hey, we got a guy that's claiming to be king here, and your governor of the region's not keeping the peace, and he's allowing this guy to make this claim, Caesar either would have had Pilate's head, or Pilate would have been removed from his position and maybe even put in prison himself. This was part of uh, Pilate's job to keep these things in order. So although Pilate did want to let Jesus or did want to let Jesus go, excuse me, we all know that he couldn't because number one, Jesus was claiming to be king, which was a penalty of Roman law. But we know that much higher law said that Christ must die for the sins of the world. So matter no matter whether Pilate did not want to put Jesus to death or not kind of God had him kind of in a in a grip hold even if he would have said well no I'm going to still release him the the Jewish leaders would have sent somebody to Caesar and he would have been eventually killed anyway because he was claiming to be a king and he testified of that in um you know in a major place he had a lot of witnesses to say that he was guilty but we all know again God said that's got to happen my son's got to die for the sins of the world. Said and result, Jesus has to die. Regardless, whatever, no matter what, God was going to make it. Jesus had to die. So now, under our next verse, verse 12. Where were the religious leaders while Pilate was really trying to find out who Jesus really was? Look at verse 12 here. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Look what happened. While he was being Accused by the chief priests and the elders, where were they? They were right there accusing him right before Pilate. They hadn't left. They hadn't gone anywhere. The whole aside that Matthew took us on to tell us about the the terrible end of Judas that was just kind of like that was kind of like uh, just a pause in a moment in time. That wasn't really in real time. That Judas account was kind of like, hey, here's the account. But in reality, in reality, what's happening is the the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate. And then they had this little conversation and this little accusation thing going right on right now. Right there. They were right there accusing Jesus before Pilate. They hadn't gone anywhere. See, Pilate was really focused on getting to know who Jesus was. Pilate was intent on finding out who this guy, who does he really say that he is? I want to hear it from his own mouth. While the religious leaders, they were really focused on getting Jesus killed they had the taste of blood in their mouths they hated him they had been hating him for years because of his claims and now they're actually before the governor now they've actually got a claim now they've actually have something to accuse him of and they're ready and they've got him in their clutches and they're they're going after him like a, like a like a mad dog when he smells blood or a, a shark in the ocean when he, somebody's cut that shark's going for that cut person that blood like a like a hound dog headed for something that's been shot you know that his master told him to go get Just how determined are they to get to put him to death? Look at 15 through 26. We're going to go through this again, but I'm not going to really break too much. I'm not going to break it down like a super, super amount, but I'm going to go through it and just highlight some points here on how heavily they were really interested in getting Jesus put to death. Look at verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing uh, to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had uh, a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting in the judgment seat, so wait, wait there, verse 18, how intent were they at getting Jesus put to death? They used this loophole. They said, there's a loophole. Yeah, there's a loophole. We know now that he want, he's been wanting to re- release him. We know that he's going to try to release him. So you know what? We're not going to ask for Barabbas. We're not going to ask for Jesus, the innocent man. We're going to ask for Barabbas, the murderer, right? The one who's been standing against the Roman government. I don't care who's been standing against the Roman government. He's not Jesus. Let's get Barabbas. Let's get to Jesus. Now, on the backside. While he was sitting there on the judgment seat, this is Pilate, his wife sent in. This is kind of a little aside here. He, and she says, I have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things of him in a dream because of him. That came from God, we know that. So God really was kind of telling Pilate, hey, that's my man. That is my man. And he told him through his wife, back to the religious leaders. But the chief priests and elders persuaded not only themselves, look at this here, not only just a few the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. How intently were they trying to get Jesus killed? Well, they weren't just standing there going, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. They were going around the crowd. They probably, the chief priests and the elders probably had their servants going around to the crowd. Hey, get that guy named Jesus. You know, get that guy Barabbas. No, no, no. He's against the Roman government. We want to overthrow the Roman government. You know, go yeah, yeah, ask for Barabbas. Yeah, he's a murderer. He'll help us get these Romans out of power. Ask for Barabbas. Ask for Barabbas. So they were inciting the multitudes. <clears throat> they were so intent on killing Jesus. They were inciting the multitudes to stand against Christ the innocent man who never hurt anybody and asked for the murderer, Barabbas. How sad and sick is that? Governor goes on to verse 21. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said again, Barabbas. Now, this is not just the religious leaders. This is the multitude again. Now, they've got them in a, like a, a mob mentality. They, they don't, probably most of them don't even know what they're agreeing on. But they're yelling out Barabbas because, man, that's what everybody's yelling out. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. 22, Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? What do you want me to do, he asked, with your Messiah? With the one who says, I'm the Savior of the Jews. I'm the Savior of the world. And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? Notice they don't answer, but they keep crying out. But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. They could not name off one evil that Christ was doing. Because guess what? Christ was not evil at all he was pure and holy and a just man as his wife just came to him and sent him on the throne as he was sitting there on the judgment seat when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all but rather that a tumult was rising so a big uprising a big kind of like people were getting angry now he took water washed his hands before the multitude and said I'm innocent of the blood of this just person so I know this man is just he's not a sinner and even though you want me to put him to death, I'm, I'm recognizing right now in front of everyone, this whole state, this whole, everybody here, this is a just man. And I'm washing my hands. I'm clean of this man's blood. He says, you go take care of it. And look what they say. They're so murderous. They're so ravenous. They're so ready to kill Jesus. They're so bloodthirsty for his blood. They actually say, now could you imagine saying this about your family? And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Wow. Hey, we're not going to hold you guilty, Pilate. We're the ones that want him dead. Well, we, we know we can't put him to death. We know you're the one. But, you know, we're, we want him dead so bad. Hey, you're innocent. We acknowledge that you're innocent. Let his blood, let his guilt, let, let what we're doing to him be upon us and our children. And, boy... Has it ever been? Absolutely, Christ's blood has been on the Jews, for so much bad has happened to them because they rejected Jesus. They were so torn apart, they were destroyed, they were sent out of their land, they were displaced, all because why? They didn't turn, and they didn't accept Christ as their Savior and as their King. So they're so bloodthirsty. Let His blood be upon us and our children. They're so ready to kill this innocent man, Jesus, Then he released to them Barabbas, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And that's where we leave Jesus. We leave him ready to be crucified. This poor, innocent man, not deserving a death, had done nothing wrong, was sent to be crucified. Now, even though Christ knew they were this way, How does he answer their false accusations and lies against him? Look back to verse 12. I already read it, but I didn't read it now Like with this question. How does he react with all their false accusations against them? Verse 12, he answers nothing. Jesus knew his fate. Jesus knew that he had to die for the sins of the world. Jesus knew that this was his lot. God in him, before the foundation of the world, already said, Hey, this is what's going to happen. I know mankind's going to sin. And Jesus said, It's okay. I want to love this new creation that we're going to make here. I'm going to die so that they can be right with you through this covenant. So, yes, I'll do this. So even before the foundations of the world, Christ had agreed to this. So right here, they're accusing him. He has every right in the physical to argue back. He has every right to tell them, you guys are full of baloney and I'm innocent. Name one thing I've done wrong. And then they, they wouldn't have been able to. But yet he stood there and he answered nothing. He wasn't going to fight back. He wasn't going to fight back because guess why? It would have been against... God's will. Remember like Peter tried to fight back in the garden, chopping off Melchizedek's ear. He was going against God's will because Christ had to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus, because he wanted to be in the center of God's will, because it was what was best for humankind, he said, I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to say a word, and I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to say nothing, hence fulfilling the prophecy, Isaiah chapter 53. He was led as a lamb to slaughter, and he opened not his mouth to defend himself. That's what the book of Isaiah says, chapter 53. Here we see he opened not his mouth to defend himself. He could have easily cut them down. He could have easily told them they were lying. He could have easily defended himself in the physical. He had every right to do so, yet he knew his mission from God, Was to go and do this, so he opened not his mouth, he said nothing. For us today, we can be actually in this position today for God. For us today, God could want us in a specific place. In a specific season in our lives. God could be teaching us something. God could have us at a particular job. And certain, you know, things could happen at that job in a specific way because God's teaching us something or or for a specific purpose of God. And for us today, if God has us there, if God has us in a specific position in our lives, we should be like Jesus. Because if that's God's will that we're somewhere, we shouldn't be complaining about where God has us. We shouldn't be fighting against where God has us. Because if we are going to complain about where God has us, if we are going to complain or argue about what we're doing, what's going on in our lives, that we know is something that God has us that, in that place for a reason, then we're really fighting against God's will. And we're really complaining against God's will too. So instead of complaining, or instead of fighting against God's will, maybe he wants us in a certain place, and you know that. You've prayed, and this is what God says, hey, this is what I've got for you, my son or my daughter. We shouldn't be fighting against it. We shouldn't be arguing against it like Jesus' example here as he's standing there being accused even though he was an innocent man. We should pray and ask God to help us learn what he wants us to learn while while we're in this place for God. And we should ask for God to give us strength to go through this particular season in our lives. And we should ask for God to give us peace while we're going through this particular season you know, area or this specific time in our lives. Like Christ did here, I'm sure that while he was answering nothing, I'm sure he was communicating with God. Lord, it's so hard for me to stand here and listen to these people because you know I'm, I'm innocent. Yet, Lord, I know that this is your will for my life. So you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to complain and I'm not going to fight back. In fact, God right now for me has me in a specific situation in my life with this church and at one of my jobs that i have and he's working on me right now with the idea of waiting in patience this is the place that god wants for me right now he wants me to wait on him he's teaching me how to wait and he's teaching me how to be patient while i wait and this sermon kind of was another god thing because Earlier this week, I was kind of complaining about one of the things that I was waiting on. You know, one of the things that I was kind of waiting on. Actually, there's two things I was waiting on. And I was really complaining about one of them. Three things I'm waiting on. And so as I was complaining, and I come across this as I'm teaching, and I'm like, wow. And God strikes me in the heart, and he says, you know, Jesus was in that position for me. Jesus was in a position I wanted him to be in. And did he fight back? Did he argue? Did he complain about it? No. And then here I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Wow, Lord, you know, I bet I'm not the only one out there that you've got in a specific place in a specific season in my life. And I bet you I'm not the only one out there that's maybe having trouble with the position or place that you have for me in my life right now. And I bet you I'm not the only one that's, you know, that's complained about it. And so God struck it into my heart to bring it up during this service about how we should be more like Jesus here. For although he was an innocent and just man, he didn't argue back because he knew this was God's will. This was God's lot for his life. And so we need to be more like him. All I have to say is this. If God wants you or me where he has us for a specific season or to teach us anything, then we need to be like Jesus here and not fight it or complain about it for he has a good reason and a plan for it. And we need to just trust in him and be faithful to him while we are where we are. And then it's okay to pray though, Lord, if this is not your will for my life, you know, Lord, then change it. I don't want to fight against you because after all, we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And we will all have to give a, you know an account for our lives. And I don't want to be found arguing or fighting or complaining against God. I want to, I want to be found to have given Him praise and honor and glory. And, and you know, hey, I'm in a certain situation, and hey, I'm going to praise and glorify God where I am right now instead of fighting and complaining against Him. Does Pilate... Back to our scripture. Does Pilate understand all these God things or this God thing and, and, and why Jesus didn't fight back? Look at verses 13 and 14. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Pilate's kind of sitting there and all. He, he, he already knows Jesus, you know, said, I'm the king of the Jews. Yes. Pilate says, don't, don't you realize what they're saying about you? You're an innocent man. Aren't you going to fight back? Aren't you going to say anything about it? Aren't you going to do something and, and, and stand up for yourself? I don't understand. Why, why aren't you doing that? Pilate is wondering what he's saying here. Verse 14, but Jesus answered him not one word. And what was Pilate's response? He marveled. Of course, Pilate did not understand these God things. Of course Pilate did not understand the things and the mission that Jesus Christ was on for God. How could he? Did the disciples? No. The disciples did not even understand the path that Christ was on. Remember Peter, one of his close, intimate three? He didn't even understand. I take you back to Matthew 16, verses 15 and 17, where Jesus says, Hey, guys, who who do men say that I am? And they go, oh, you're Elijah, oh, John the Baptist, oh, and Jesus said, oh, okay, hold on, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. So Peter understood that he was the Christ, understood that he was the Messiah, But did he really understand his true mission for God? Well, no, take you back to the garden. Matthew 26, 51, when they came to arrest Jesus to start the whole cross adventure, right? What did Peter do? Break out his sword. He's going to fight back. He's going to deliver Jesus. I'm going to deliver him. There's no way they can't arrest him. No, Peter did not even understand what Jesus had to do with the cross. Had Peter understood what he was going to do at the cross, Peter wouldn't have tried to fight back, right? So Peter, the twelve, they didn't understand. They all said, "No, we're going to, We're not going to let him take. No, we'll never leave you. No, I don't we, don't. we don't." But they, none of them knew. None of them knew. None of his twelve, and especially none of his intimate three. They did not understand what Jesus had to go through. They did not understand the special mission that Christ had. And if the whole twelve disciples and this close three didn't understand the path Christ was on for God, how could Pilate, who was a complete stranger? Pilate was just an outsider. Until this day, he had never heard Jesus even testify to you know directly that he was the Christ, that he was the Son of God. Let alone, how would he even know what special path Christ was on? It was impossible. Which meant the only one on earth that knew that Jesus was on a special mission for God was Jesus. I mean, God the Father knew, the Holy Spirit knew, but they weren't dwelling on earth at that time. Only Jesus himself knew the special path, the special mission that he was on for God. Really, we'll say that Jesus was on a special mission for God at this time, because he was the only one that knew, and it was kind of a secret mission. Even though he tried to tell people, they didn't listen. Even his disciples, they didn't listen. Well, synonymously... A lot of this sermon kind of applies here as well too to us at Gospel Saving Church, me and this house church. We're we're kind of on one of those special missions for God right now, and to be honest with you, kind of like the disciples, God's not exactly kept me in the whole loop of everything that we're going, everything we're doing, and everything where we're going to head and where we're going. All I know is this one thing. This if this news to you guys listening online or whatever. But Gospel Saving Church is really a pioneer in the church in the church area as far as churches go here in the north dallas texas area why you may say well house churches are practically none zilch zero in this area in north dallas texas and a majority of the people around here are baptists that's the majority of people in this area they belong to the baptist denomination a little secret about the baptist denomination here not sure if that's true other places but, yeah, I, I, but I know it is, is true here in North Dallas, Texas. So many Christian churches uh, that use the name, something like a fictitious name, the Flower Christian Church, right? Just, just the name to throw out there. Many Baptist churches have, they, they send church plants out, but they don't name them so-and-so Baptist church. They give themselves a Christian church name and they have all the same teachings as the Baptist Church, and they have all the same beliefs as the Baptist Church, and, but they don't bear the Baptist name. I think this is done because a lot of people around here have kind of grown cold to the Baptist faith. And, you know, they, They've been done wrong in the Baptist faith, but I'm not sure about that. But, any, but anyway, our special mission for God here for Gospel Saving Church is the Baptist Church is the main denomination in this North Dallas, Texas area. Well, gospel-saving church is not affiliated with the Baptist faith. Nor do we believe the same things about the Bible as the Baptists believe. Nor do I teach like a Baptist preacher teaches, because I don't have their same beliefs. And in fact, we're not affiliated with any denomination, or any Baptist church, or the Catholic church. We're We're not even a church plant from any church. God called me to start this house church, gospel-saving church, with my family and some others. And on the plain and powerful truths of the Bible, taught verse by verse and expositionally. That means verse by verse. and That means breaking it down every sermon. And so that's what I'm doing. But because we're not Baptists, and because we don't believe like the Baptists, and because we don't, I don't teach like the Baptists, and we're in a house, we're out of a house, God's honest truth is is we've had a struggle for God to kind of get people to come here. We've been struggling, not from God, but we've been struggling with people to kind of get people to come to church. People are kind of intimidated because it's a house and, and, you know, because we're not Baptists and we don't have a Baptist name and all that stuff. So we here at Gospel Saving Church, we're on kind of a special mission for God, just like Christ was. And a lot of churches nowadays, especially in America, have fallen away from the truth. And the Bible says that God seeks those to worship Him in spirit and truth. And we can really only worship God in spirit and truth if we're teaching the Bible. Not our, my, my ideas or not man's you know, traditions, but if we're not teaching the Bible, how can people really be worshipers of God? So we've kind of fallen away here in America to the true truth of just the Bible being taught. Well, that's what I teach here At Gospel Saving Church, that's what you listen to every week if you're listening online, is the truth of the Bible. Not with my tilt on it, but with what the Bible says. I always back it up by what the Bible says, by what the Bible says. So we're kind of on a special mission for God, like Christ was. And it's been a hard road. But, whoever said that the special missions God would send us on would be easy. Christ's special road is, his special calling for God sure wasn't easy. What he had to do for God wasn't easy. How he was treated along the way for God wasn't easy for him to do. But anyway, let's just say that God has special missions for Christians, as, he's had, as he had for Christ, that nobody understands. And God's had special missions for Christians all throughout Christendom, ever since Christianity has started, ever since Christ came that nobody understood either the special missions from god to us that nobody understands are not easy but god and christ and his kingdom they're worth it 1000 percent they're worth it all the way so to christians i ask you this i ask you to think today we covered a lot of interesting things today we covered a lot of information in this sermon. And I I hope it wasn't boring to you. I hope that God really touched you through it. But I hope my brothers and sisters in Christ took away many things from how Christ handled himself in his situation in this special mission for God. He didn't complain about the position that God had him in, nor did he fight back because he knew that he had a special mission for God to save mankind even though nobody on earth except for him understood it. My exhortation to you, if you're a Christian, listening to this message is this today. Be content where Christ has you. Be content with the path that God has you on. And don't complain against it. Don't fight it. Don't argue. Don't moan about it. Remember, ask God. God, give me peace through this special circumstance that I'm in right now. God, give me wisdom. Help me to know what do you want me to learn from being where I am. Because, Lord, I don't understand why I am where I am. But, Lord, you know, and I've got to trust in you. But, Lord, teach me whatever you want me to learn from where I am and being where I am right now. Please do that. I've actually done that after this sermon. I've actually started practicing that myself kind of getting back onto the you know, the God train as far as where God wants me. Okay, God, teach me then. Give me peace. Give me strength. I also encourage you to stand strong and be courageous in whatever special mission that God has given you to do. Everybody around you may not understand why God has you where he has you. But you know that God has you there for a specific purpose, a specific mission. stay strong. Be courageous. I know that God sent me to do this. So I know that I'm, you know what, God, I'm going to be strong in you. And Lord, I'm going to do this thing. No matter what comes, Lord, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to stand strong in you. And I'm not going to not believe and I'm going to put my trust in you fully and hope in you fully. And Lord, whatever the end result is, Lord, I know you got that. I know you got that. That was to my brothers and sisters out there. Stay strong and don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing good, as the Bible says. To those listening out there who may not be a Christian, you may be sitting there going, you're not, you're not saved. You're, you didn't ever profess a profession in Christ. Maybe you did, but you don't live His way. Maybe you believe all the Bible, but you don't live for God. You don't fully trust in him. You don't hope in him, and you don't live for him for sure. You know, you would say after this sermon, I'm not a Christian by what you said, what the Bible says I know now. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. Well, I want to close to you with a detail that I only mentioned briefly in this sermon. Two points. How was Jesus able to stand before the governor and not fight back while he was being accused by evil men being innocent himself of any wrong? And number two, how are God's kids able to handle the special missions that he's given us to do and stay strong in them? How are we able to do that? What's our motivation? Here's why. Because we've realized God's love and we've embraced it. And we've found it better than anything in this life that we could ever have or ever attain. we found God's unconditional love for us. The unconditional love that God has for you. And it's a never-ending love. It's a love that doesn't ever end. It's a love that goes on for all eternity. It's a supernatural love. It's a special love. And only God can even teach us or anybody to love that way. And He, Because He is the author of love. His love won't ever end. This love that we found won't ever end like our lives will. Our lives will all have an end. His love won't end like our good health. If we're in good health, his love won't end. Our good health will. We're all on the road to death. If you're alive and you're listening to this sermon and you're in good health, you will not have good health one day. Because a day will come when you will start to die and you will start to lose your good health and then you will die. His love never ends like our expensive, fancy cars that'll all be in a junkyard probably someday, most of them. His love won't end like our fancy, expensive boats or yachts or our swimming pools or our big, expensive houses in the deed restricted areas, the, the ones that are six figures. And Oh, wow, look at these houses. Oh, they're, they're, these houses are quarter of a million dollars and a million dollars and seven figures. His love won't end like them. They'll fall apart one day. They'll all grow old, have to be fixed or repaired or torn down, and another one have to be rebuilt. His love doesn't end like our sixty inch big flat screen TVs that hang on the wall. They'll all break, we'll have to buy a new one. His love doesn't end like those. And his unconditional love won't end like the earth and all the universe will someday. The Bible says that everything you see will all be destroyed and consumed by fire. Everything. Everything you love and adore will all be destroyed one day. But his love, his unconditional love will never end like all those things. It goes on forever. And that love is for you and your friend and your mother and your brother and your son and your sister and your uncle and your cousin and even for me. That unconditional love is for all of us. And today, God wants you to know that he loves you so much, very much more than you could ever love yourself. And he loves you so much that he proved it to you, he's telling you, on the cross. Because he didn't have to die for your sins. He could have just said forget about it and left you to die and let you to go to hell forever and never provided anything for your sin. But he didn't. He provided you a way out, a way out of death, a way out of sin, a way out of a terrible life. Because that's what you have. If you don't have God, you have a terrible life. If your life is broken, you don't have God. Yet you say, well, I don't want to turn to God all those darn rules. No, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. But would you rather have a broken life or some rules and love? I'd rather have some structure or rules and i'd rather be loved than have a broken life so if you're ready to receive this love if you're ready to turn to him today and here's what you got to do realize that you're wrong you're a sinner bible says and god's right he's fully righteous never broke any sins never lied never stolen never cheated never broke a sin never sinned ever He's right, you're wrong. Bible says you need to come to Him and you need to apologize for your sin. God, I'm so sorry that I have sinned. Bible says next, then you need to repent. That means you need to turn your heart and turn your life unto God. Start looking to Him for answers, not Oprah Winfrey. Start looking to Him for answers instead of your president. Start looking to Him for answers instead of the daytime soap operas. Start looking to Him for answers rather than the newspaper. Turn to God and away from, the Bible says, turn to me, but turn away from the sin that you live in. What do you do next? Daily, make time to get in His Word because that's the most important thing with God is that you have a relationship with Him, that you read His Word, that you get His Word in you, and then not only that you just get it in you, but that you start to do it. Obey God's Word. You'll want to naturally if you just turn to Him. And then lastly, daily talking to Him. Communicating with Him. God, I need you. Help me. Whatever's on your heart, Jesus, Jesus, please show me the way to live today. God, I need you more today than I did yesterday. God wants you to talk to Him. He wants to talk to you. If you're ready for this love, if you're ready to receive it, then Repent and turn to him and have a relationship with him and then it's all about getting to know him and getting to be obedient to his word and falling in love with him as he reveals himself to you more and more and more and more and more so if you're interested in receiving this love that god has for you today then please fall on your knees and cry out to God. And if you can't fall on your knees, if you can, if you're if you're unable to do that, fall on the knees and fall on your knees in your heart. And cry out to God, God, I need you, save me. I want you. I don't want this life. I want you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you, save me. Please save me. And then if you do this and you cry out to God, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you go and you have a relationship with God and you show him your love by obeying the things that he tells you to do. And that's it. And then I'll see you in heaven. And that's the end. Please, if you're not there, get there. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace and thank you so much for your mercy. I pray, dear God in heaven, that everybody that's listening, Lord, whether Christian or not, Lord God, that they would, Lord, your words would touch them today, Lord God, and that they would not just hear your words and throw them away. Lord, I pray that they would hear your words and do something about them, that they would be the wise man who built this house upon a rock, who'd hear your words and do them. For that one that's out there that's not yours, Lord, draw him to you. Let him see your love today in a mighty way, and Lord, grant them repentance and bring them to Christ. And for all of us that are yours, Lord, that are on special missions or that are growing weak and doing good, Lord, and and don't understand why we are where we are and don't understand the season or what you want to do, what what you're wanting us to do, Lord God, help us to stay strong in you, and help us not to veer, and help us to cling to you. Lord, I personally need you more today than I needed you 15 years ago. And Lord, I just pray we'd all stay strong or come to you one or the other, Lord. Bring them or strengthen them, Lord, please. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask these things, all these things, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.